Blast and Cruise were live. Oh, man. Blast and Cruise. Could you imagine the numbers you would have hit had you actually blasted and cruised? No, I can't imagine. <laughs> so much. We're just sipping and scanning here. Oh, boy. New this, product. This podcast is sponsored by Aerobic <laughs> Power Builder and uh, Aerobic Power Builder clients. So she is an Aerobic Power Builder and friend of the show, Dana, who... Uh, provided us with cans of all, basically. <laughs> all, yes. It's Coke with coffee and vanilla without sugar. So it is all the stuff that you want and none of the stuff that you don't. And it does have also a tremendous taste. It does. It, yeah. it is actually, you get that hint of coffee. Not so much Coke, which is good because I'm not a huge Coke fan. But it's like enough of the coffee with just a little little sweetness from that vanilla. Meanwhile, I thought the complete opposite. I got no coffee and all Coke and vanilla. See, I really like, uh, I forgot that I liked Coke, like regular flavor Coke. I like Diet Coke too. But like this is the Coke Zero Sugar. It has, a, it has uh, I like it. So thanks, Dana. Yes. Uh, if you're listening to this and you're thinking like, you guys have it all wrong, there is a tremendous ca- a caffeinated product that you haven't tried yet that doesn't have any sugars in it. Send it to us. We'll drink it. We'll talk about it. We'll maybe talk about you. We're talking about a different person in this podcast today. Big powerlifting meet wrap-up. Follow-up wrap-up. It's over. We walked away unscathed. We hit some new PRs. Narrowly miss some other ones. We're going to talk a little bit about training, takeaways, what happens next, all that kind of stuff. And I think so that the interesting thing is this is applicable to everybody because even if you aren't interested in competing in strength sport, um, you have to constantly reevaluate your programming and sort of what you're going to do next. Or you don't have to, certainly. You can just progress randomly, but it is sensible to evaluate what you've done, where you'd like to improve, and then use those things to inform your next program. So, first take, tell us a little bit about it. How did it go yesterday? Uh, I think it went overall probably about as well as it could in the sense that it was my first meet, uh, first experience with anything like that, and I didn't like hurt myself, and I <laughs> completed the majority of the lifts. Um, and had a lot of fun. So I think all in all, it went about as well as it could have. Um, in terms of numbers, uh, squat being first, I hit a little PR there. So I ended at 414 pounds, which was 80, 187 and a half kilos. Then bench was 231 pounds, which is 105 kilos. And then deadlift is 451 pounds, which is 205 kilos. So uh, not a PR on bench and deadlift, but still happy with my performance on those. Yeah, not real far off of your PRs. No. And I think that's like kind of the one takeaway from this is that you kind of go into it almost expecting that you're maybe going to PR everything because you're at the end of like a cycle. But a lot of it's not like that common, it seems like, to PR all three in that setting. You know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of people have like quote unquote gym PRs 
and that's their kind of all time. And then meat PRs are a different story. Yeah, I think that's an interesting thing. So you could look at that, and I'll be interested to hear what you think about this. So there's two factors there, right? So gym PR can be very valid if you have somebody who knows what they're doing and knows what they're looking at uh, sort of judge you, so to speak, right? So the classic example for us, if we're going to hit PRs, we're going to have Amanda watch us because she actively wants us to tell, wants to tell us it wasn't a rep and it doesn't count and all your work is for nothing. So if she says it's good, then we know it's, it's definitely good. Uh, whereas if you're by yourself, you know, uh, you could videotape it, you could, you know, on your phone, but that can get a little squirrely. Maybe you're a little high on your squat, you don't completely lock out your deadlift, etc. Uh, whereas at a powerlifting meet, not only are they judging things like depth and things like that, but there's little things that you would theoretically get away with at the gym uh, that they will, they will hit you with a no rep in competition. Even if you physically complete the lift, if you don't, like if it, the bar moves down at all or you have any sort of... Uh, sort of uh, technical flaw that gives you a mechanical advantage that is against the rules. They'll just, even if you finish the lift, they'll just not count it. Yeah, I think that was one. Another takeaway is that they're so, which is obviously the job, they're, they're so hyper analytical of every single thing or stuff that you wouldn't even think about. Like with benching, I think is probably the biggest one. Or like deadlifts, like you said, like you can complete it, but uh, not have it count based on how you put the bar down or you know I mean if you let go of it too fast or something like that yeah and I think that's something for people who don't compete in powerlifting don't really understand right if your only exposure is is training within a gym um, and you're looking to compete that those are things that you need to start thinking about as you train Um, because if you are one of the people like with deadlifts that dropped from the top like then you did all of that work, right? You worked super hard to get that barbell up, but the lift wouldn't count because you're not allowed to drop it from the top. Um, and so it's it's when you choose to make powerlifting meet a goal, like actually going and being competitive, that's just another thing that you need to think about throughout your training. I think it's, you know, a lot of the people that we work with have a background in CrossFit. And that has its own, it's uh, because it's a blend of different sports and because Olympic weightlifting plays a realistically an outsized role or has an outsized influence um, with use of bumper plates, even things like that and sort of dropping barbells, people get very used to that kind of stuff. Um, And then when you travel into a different sport with different rules that has its own techniques and its own level of specialization, that indeed becomes very, very stark. Uh, so yeah, it, it would clearly make sense if you had aspirations to compete in a powerlifting meet uh, to train the way that you're going to be tested. And even when we have people go through th- strength cycles, they train, even if they have no intention of competing in a meet, train that way because it also tends to be a better indication of your actual strength. There's a difference between bouncing a bar off your chest in a bench press and using that bounce to get it up and complete the rep then there is to pause at the bottom and press from a dead stop one accurately measures your strength and the other one doesn't basically it measures your ego basically yeah yeah i think that's something that they like that i focused on a lot over the course of my 
training for this was like really paying attention to the pause, knowing that like it's pointless for me to train all my bench press stuff without a pause and then have to do it in the meet with a pause. Like that kind of goes back to like specificity that we've talked about before is like if you're, you know, why wouldn't I do exactly what I'm trying to do? Um, and I think it's different in that environment too because if you bring it down too far into your chest, you still get that like little rebound back up uh, that could be potentially a no rep. Yeah. So you gave us a rundown of your numbers. Let's talk about your kind of game plan going into this. And obviously you had some idea of numbers that you wanted to hit uh, and how that was then kind of uh, adjusted throughout your actual meet. Yeah, so I had, so the way it works is you have to, when you go to weigh in, you have to have your openers set, so your first attempt for each of the three lifts and you have to tell them then. So that's before you start warming up, before you do anything like that. So you don't necessarily know how you're going to actually feel that day. Um, so you have to take that in consideration, knowing that that first attempt is something that you can almost definitely hit 90, 99% of the time. Um, so I chose those, something obviously that's challenging, but still relatively conservative. Um, so we can, I guess, start with squats. So squatting, I felt really good throughout the whole cycle. So I knew that I could get around my PR or maybe past that. Um, so I took that in consideration as I was planning my jumps. So I had my opener, which was about 385. And then after each lift, I would have something that if it felt good, if the previous lift felt good, then I would have a number or if it felt bad, then I would have a different number that was a little bit lower and not as big of a jump. So as I started going through my uh, squat attempts, it felt pretty good. The first one felt like nothing. And I don't know if it was like adrenaline or uh, just because it was, I mean, it I PR'd by a decent amount, so that was kind of lighter, or just having a good day. So I took a bigger jump to about what was my previous PR for my second attempt, which was 402 when my previous PR was 405, and that felt good, so I thought might as well kind of go for it, and jump to 414 for my last attempt, which also felt pretty good. So looking back on it, probably could have gone like 420 at least, maybe 425, but that kind of gives me a point to start for next time, knowing that I can be a little bit more aggressive. So let's back up a little bit, because uh, you mentioned it really briefly. So the first piece of the puzzle when you arrive at a meet is uh, getting, well, actually it was checking in and then getting measured for your squat settings. And bench. For you and bench, which is important because you don't use competition powerlifting equipment at yeah. this point in training. So you don't have a monolift. You don't have an Alico bench and squat station specifically for powerlifting. You're using, you know, rogue racks and or, you know, things like that. Um, so we do that. And now you have your numbers, which is nice. Uh, and then weighing in. So tell us a little bit about what you did the evening before the morning of before arriving at the venue and then kind of where you were in terms of weight, either in kilos or pounds. We might want to talk about why we're mentioning kilos too so people 
just don't think we're being like uh, pretentious uh, in terms of like where you were versus where you could have been and then where everybody else was basically. So I, the whole process, knowing that I had to be below 74 kilos or 163 pounds, I had kind of planned out for the two months ish prior to the competition. So over the two months from like beginning of December to yesterday, I was on a slow kind of downhill descent in terms of my weight starting, I guess I was probably about like 174-ish roughly to down to, I ended up at like 160 yesterday. Um, So obviously pretty dialed in in terms of my nutrition over the course of the past couple months. But then kind of the past week or a couple days before, um, I was just hyper conscious of everything I was consuming in terms of amount, obviously. Um, But then also in terms of like water and salt content, because I didn't want to come in carrying a bunch of extra weight in terms of water, uh, just retaining water from eating a lot of salt. So probably two days before, I was pretty conscious of that. And then the day before and the evening before, I kind of slowed down my water consumption through the afternoon and evening um, and tried to not necessarily like dehydrate myself because I was actually a lot more hydrated than I expected to be, um, but kind of get as low as I could in terms of the amount of water stored in my body. And then the night before dinner, I ate relatively normally. Um, but same thing, just being kind of conscious of uh, the amount. And then right before I went to sleep the night before, I had some casein protein because um, I knew that I wasn't going to eat in the morning before the weigh-in. So I wanted to have something that was going to keep me kind of full through the night and was pretty slow digesting so that I had a kind of constant stream of something in my system until I was going to eat. Woke up in the morning, uh, didn't eat anything, didn't drink anything, weighed myself at my, on my scale at home. And it said I was about 160. So I knew I was in a pretty good spot, but I wasn't sure if maybe my scale was a little light or the one that, uh, I was going to be weighing in at the competition was going to be a little heavy. So I wanted to give myself, make sure I had plenty of room for error. So I didn't drink anything, didn't eat anything until we got to the competition. Uh, we checked in, did my measurements and then weighed in. So exactly like wrestling weigh-ins, um, step on the scale and it tells you in kilos. So I ended up being like 72.75 kilos, which is like 159 or 160 pounds. Um, and obviously I needed to be below 163. So I was well below that. So then after that, it didn't, I drank a bunch of water and Gatorade, uh, had some Pop-Tarts and uh, some rice and chicken and everything. So in terms of other people at the competition, I was kind of surprised. A lot of them were just under 74 kilos, so like 73.95. So I was in my kind of division, I guess. I was the lightest uh, person in 74 kilos. So that was kind of interesting to me that everyone was like just under and I was not markedly under, but more than I kind of expected. So, I think uh, sort of an interesting thing with that is the thoughtfulness of not only manipulating your 
nutrition in say the eight weeks before leading up to your competition, but also basically doing what amounted to, you know, pulling your sodium or a little bit and then not really like a water cut per se, but pulling your water. So obviously learning some of the lessons that we've learned from like preparation for physique sport and how much water retention, how much of an effect that can have and sort of exerting some control over that. Whereas like when we, certainly when I wrestled, I imagine with, with you, we really had no, no conception no, of water yeah. retention. Uh, and it's just like basically starve yourself and hope to make weight, which clearly doesn't positively affect your performance. Um, so hit that uh, pretty pretty well. Um, obviously next time you would have potentially a little more room. Um, and then tell us about warming up. So you're, you're back there, you've weighed in. Obviously there's a significant amount of time between you weigh in and the first event. Um, and so your, your warm-up strategy changed over the course of the meet. So if you look at the three lifts, like you're, the way you're warming up for them changed pretty significantly as you went through. So tell people a little bit about that. Yeah, so there was like two hours between when I weighed in and when like lifting actually started. So I'd say even maybe two and a half hours between when I weighed in and when I like stepped on the platform for my first attempt. Um, so I knew that I had a rough idea of how long it would take me to warm up to squat, which I was going to give myself like roughly half an hour. Um, but I overshot my guess a lot in terms of how long the timeline was going to work for the meet itself. So there's two flights that go, so A and B, and I was in B. And what that means is flight A has, we'll say 12 people, and all of those 12 people run through their three attempts for squatting. And then flight B, all of those 15 people run through their three attempts for squatting. So I had to wait, even though the meet started uh, and people were squatting and taking their attempts, I had to wait until all of flight A had gone through and then I would go through. So obviously about a minute or a minute and a half per lifter times three times 12 people is going to take a decent amount of time to get through a whole flight. Um, so I had kind of underestimated that and started warming up and it didn't take me necessarily that long to warm up because you're not, obviously you are warming up pretty heavy, but you don't, you want to limit the amount of warm up attempts you make because you're just fatiguing yourself knowing that you're kind of in a marathon of hitting heavy lifts throughout the course of a few hours. So I had kind of jumped the gun a little bit and realized I warmed up a little bit too fast and then I had to slow down and was end up taking like eight to 10 minutes between warm up attempts. Um, and then finally was able to get up and go. Um, but in terms of jumps, I was taking pretty, I guess like liberal jumps in my warm ups because I knew that I had to conserve some energy. So it didn't make sense for me to go 10 pound jumps all the way up to 385 because I was just wasting energy at that point. So tell us, uh, pick a lift and, and give people a, a sense, because I think this is an interesting takeaway just for people in training, is they're not entirely sure how to take jumps, right? And obviously it's fine if we're there with them, right? Because we can dictate their jumps or we can write it in their, in their programming. But in terms of this, you know you only have so much gas in the tank, you only have so much time. So you can't take a trillion jumps 
she'll tire yourself out. So we'll use like either squatting or deadlifting. What do your jumps look like? So we'll take squatting because that was, so I also knew that this was warming up to squat was the first event and I wanted to get my central nervous system like going because then it's once after I squat it, it wouldn't take as long for me to warm up for bench and deadlift because I was already generally warm and because my central nervous system was already like on fire from hitting, you know what I mean? Like, cause you already squatted heavy. Um, so you just inherently warm up a little faster for the other two. So for squatting, uh, I took relatively normal jumps as I would when I am training. So I went 135, hit probably eight there, 185, hit five there, and then 225 for three, 275 for three, and then 315 for like two, 335 for one, 365 for one. And then I think, think I hit 365 again to keep myself warm. And then I went out to the platform and did 385 for my first attempt. So uh, maybe a little bit faster than I would usually go in training. Maybe I would go uh, skip the 335 and go 315, 345, 365. Um, 370, 385, but I knew that I wanted to save that attempt and I knew 385 wasn't going to be super troublesome for me. So I figured I would err on the side of saving some energy. Yeah, cool. So, do you have a question? I don't, no, I don't have a question. Uh, it just, obviously, you were there and I was not. Um, and so it's just interesting to see how like you approached your warm-up behind the scenes um because obviously as you alluded to like it's a little different than what we would do in our normal sessions in the gym whether that's different amount of weight jumps that you're making um or different number of reps that you're taking um i'd say because squatting is such a strong movement for you um that that process or understanding that process and knowing how to get to there is pretty comfortable. Um, so for me, I think I'm more curious about something like bench that is a weak point for you, how you addressed that differently. Um, because obviously having your upper body warm compared to your lower body, like two different things. And that's purposely why they do it in that order. Um, but what was your approach with bench? Um, I'd say generally similar, but I got a little bit more cautious as I got heavier, knowing that like bench is a weak link for me and I hasn't been feeling that great in training. Um, and I knew that like my opener would be fine, but then after that, I didn't necessarily know what was going to happen because it kind of just depends on the day. Um, so I took similar jumps, but probably less reps. Um, kind of being generally warm, like I said, and then knowing that I wanted to save as much energy as I could for my actual attempts and then for deadlifting as well. So I hit, I think, 180 or 135, like 155, 185, and then just singles at 205 and 215, and then I took my first attempt at 225, um, knowing that I, like, was only going to warm up so much. And I, I it was like, I'm kind of putting all my eggs in one basket. Like I knew it was either going to be a good day or a bad day. And it didn't, 
it's going to go one way or the other. So with regard to that, there's some nuance in terms of choosing your openers and choosing how you're going to jump that, again, is very different from training, whereas if you miss, if uh, you make a mistake there, you could adjust it. But in this situation, you can't. And so that's maybe something for people. And obviously watching competitors who miss their openers are in a really rough spot because then they have to try to come back. They can't drop down. You can't, yeah. If Tell you, us a little bit about that. So you, whatever weight you declare, whether it's for your opener or after your opener. So you, when you hit a lift, as soon as you put the bar down or re-rack it and step off the platform, you tell them what you want for your next lift. So you... Like I said initially, you have like an idea of like, if this felt good, I'm going to do this. If it felt bad, I'm going to do this. So you know before you're even going for the one lift what the next lift is probably going to be. Um, because as soon as you're done, you have to tell them what you want for your next one. So if you miss one, you can't go down and wait to attempt a different weight. You have to, your next attempt is that same weight that you just missed. So obviously, you're going to be more tired and then it's kind of like a mental game too. You're like, well, I missed it once. Like, am I really going to get it this time? Which obviously does happen. I think some people did do that yesterday where they got it on the second try. Um, but that's kind of the game you have to play because you can't, you can only go up. You can't go down. So go ahead. <laughs> uh, so I think that that's, you know, kind of the good point of, you know, having a coach in this situation um, because obviously like you know how you feel, but in that moment you like can get caught up or get lost in your own thoughts on like, well, well I failed this now, like what do I do? I don't know that I can hit that. And, and depending on how many people are in your flight, like you could end up getting a clock set for two minutes and like you then have to go again within that two minute time frame um, or there could be somebody else that's going to attempt that same weight so you get a little bit more time um, so it is a point where you really have to take the time to like control your mentality at that point because um, if you get caught up in it and you've you've seen this right like you see somebody who misses a lift and then everything after that is just fail because you don't know what to do at that point except hope that you can make it um so you made it all of your squats all three attempts you made your first two bench yeah then failed your third what happened after that point like how did you feel um so well i think we can start by like kind of talking about like the like kind of you mentioned like the mental side of the whole thing because obviously like there's way more emotions and like feelings that play into it than when you're just in training because when you're in training like you know when you go to hit a heavy lift whether it's like 95 percent of your one rep max or a new one rep max you kind of inherently get a little nervous or excited or there's that kind of adrenaline rush um, but that was like completely amplified yesterday because you're doing it in front of people. Uh, it's heavy. You're um, in kind of like it's a competition. Like the point is to compete. And there's so many things that you have to pay attention to in terms of like form and technique so you don't get no repped and following the command. So for all of the lifts, the chief referee is telling you what to do in terms of um when to re-rack the bar, when to take the bar out, when to pause, when to 
press, when to all this stuff. Um, so I was like super anxious and had a ton of adrenaline with squatting because it felt good. And I was like, it was the first time I had done anything like that. So you uh, obviously are like kind of riding that high. Um, but then like as soon as I got done with all of my squat attempts because they felt good, you like you like almost can't like you're like so amped up. And I think like when you came back to like talk to me after like each lift, like I like you almost like can't talk because you're just so like like out of it. Um, so, yeah, so that kind of wore off as the experience went on. So coming out of benching and then missing my third one, I kind of went into the third one almost expect not you probably shouldn't have this mentality, but like expecting to miss it just because the second one felt a little bit heavy. And the third one was like so close to my one rep max before. Um, and it just hasn't been feeling great in training. So I kind of had that mentality going into it and wasn't necessarily surprised that I missed it and was like this, I knew this was going to be my weak link. So just move past it and go on a deadlift. Um, so I think the like squatting one was more emotional or mentally fatiguing than, than benching. And then deadlift was just a different story. So you hit your first deadlift, your opener. And then, and I think so the underlying theme here is that previous PRs, and I'm, my guess is most people, especially with gym PRs, are in the situation where you're not testing all of these things on the same day. So... Uh, accumulating fatigue plays a huge factor with this and so you're going in and this is why people don't tend to PR lifetime PR all three lifts in the same meet on the same day because your fatigue is just sky high so your second deadlift attempt was basically at your current PR effectively yeah uh, you almost got it but didn't get it. it was a huge battle right so the whole lift is probably you know Oh, maybe almost 30 seconds like 20 seconds like really yeah. really long yeah which uh, like all of those lifts are like usually probably le like less than five seconds yeah five seconds on the high end yeah five seconds if you're grinding a little bit um so a huge fatigue of missing it almost making it but missing it and then so you had to make a decision coming off of that second lift because you or a second attempt because you have one more attempt so tell us a little bit about that and then what went into your thought process so well we'll start with kind of the fatigue you mentioned so even like halfway through benching so like after or like before my second attempt with benching I felt like the fatigue aspect like starting to set in just in like the adrenaline starts to wear off and you just like kind of come down from being super amped up but you are just tired generally so like you I felt like I was like needed a nap like gonna fall asleep so then it was like a question of like, obviously, as you're warming up to deadlift and everything, you kind of get a second wind and like get amped up again. But the fatigue aspect played a huge factor. Like I felt like you're just like shutting down. And then as I'm sure we'll get into later, the like that after the meet, like once I got home, like you like basically don't move for the rest of the day. Well, also um, give people a sense of when you'd woken up and how you slept the night before. Yeah, so I got up at like 5.20 in the morning and obviously I'm not used to getting up that early and knew 
like you're thinking about making weight and your attempts and what it's just going to be like in general and you're excited and nervous and everything and no you have to get up early so I slept super poorly um, on top of like you're on on edge the whole morning and adrenaline and everything Um, so yeah fatigue played a factor and then like you said like hit my opener for deadlift and then my plan was which was 451 so my plan was to go like 451 to roughly 470 which is my previous PR and then hopefully like 485 which I've had a history with with in the past and wanted to kind of bust over that 470 plateau um so yeah so for my second attempt I got up and got the bar to like mid thigh (laughs) which is always my sticking point um and just essentially couldn't lock the bar out which is something with my other two lifts so squat and bench I don't have an issue with it's usually kind of the mid-range of the lift so a couple inches off the chest for bench and then a couple inches above or like between just below parallel and just above parallel for squatting Um, but deadlifting I have trouble locking the bar out so standing it up all the way Um, so I had like two inches left and just kind of hung out there for probably like 10 seconds and just couldn't lock it out and it's exactly what happened in August with 485 Um, and like I said afterwards that I could have just stood there holding it forever but I couldn't just couldn't lock it out and I like had that like playing through my head as I was like I literally have it here like I just have to stand up and I you can't so it's I mean it's like an interesting thing looking back on it because you're like well I did all the hard stuff is done like it's two inches locking it out um but just couldn't get it so uh chose I guess to fail it like put it put it back down without completing the lift and obviously had one more attempt Um, But like we said, my choices there are I can't go down in weight. And so I could either stay at the same weight or go up in weight. So that would be the last lift. My third attempt attempt of the deadlift would be my last lift for the meet. Um, So I had a choice to make of whether I wanted to try it again or just skip my last attempt and call it a day. Um, And knowing that I was so fatigued in general and fatigued from the previous attempt of not only lifting a like 99 percent of my one rep max but then having it like being under load for that long uh just fatigued me so much that i knew my next attempt was if i were to try it again wouldn't necessarily go any better like it would be near impossible for me to even get to that point again um so just decided to play it safe and i was happy with how the day had gone so far and at the end of the day, like that wouldn't have been a PR anyways. So it was, I was like, there's no, there isn't necessarily a point for me to try. The injury risk is almost higher than the chance of me actually completing it. Yeah. yeah I think that was obviously, I wasn't super uh, mad that you had made that decision because I had kind of thought the same thing. It's just, you see enough people make uh, PR or near PR attempts that are extremely taxing that they fail and then hubris takes over and they insist on trying again, and it's a near certainty that they're not going to make it, um, and you just put yourself at injury risk, and it's just needlessly fatiguing just to feed your ego when you yourself are, you know you're not going to make it. 
Yeah, and I think it's also important to remember in this situation, it was your first meet, um, the first time you'd ever experienced like doing this in this way. Um, and that like, the plan is for you to do others. So just to have a total because you completed one of each so that you have a meet total that you can now move on from and grow from, uh, I think is, is enough um, in and of itself to, again, not take any risks in potential injury or, again, just the high likelihood of failing another lift. Yeah, I think it's like the that was kind of the mentality I had is like you're foolish almost to like walk into your first meet something you've never even like seen as a spectator really um and then be like oh I'm going to smash everything go 9 for 9 and PR every single lift. Um so like I said I was like completely satisfied with how things had gone so far and I was happy to call it a day at that point. So, two-part question. Uh, you won your class, uh, but obviously there's, there are other classes, and then there are people of, of similar size and weight uh, that were able to express the lifts at higher levels. So what impact did that make on you? And then kind of a related question, you know, with the takeaways of where your failure points were uh, and how you can address those in training, what is your training plan? So if we're planning on hitting meets in the future and the plan obviously is to have your total progressively climb uh, how are you going to address that so yeah there were a lot of uh people similar weight i think that's like kind of a popular 74 kilos is a relatively popular weight because it's not super light and it's not super heavy um, and it's pretty approachable um, so there are a decent amount of people at 74 kilos but not necessarily in my class of uh age so the, some of the other people there were very strong um, for similar size. And it's cool to see because it's an eye-opener and it's like um, humbling because you, you get used to seeing like your world and your group and you're like, oh, you know, I'm pretty good at this stuff. Um, but then you start to see areas where you are pretty good. So squatting for me um, and then areas where you're not very good um, maybe more bench and then a little bit deadlift as well but it's also so it's like cool to see and you're like that's extremely impressive like some of these kids are very very strong um, but it also is kind of like well at the end of it like if they can do it then so can I if you kind of dedicate the right time and thoughtful training towards it so that was humbling but also exciting to see because it kind of gives more gives some new goals to shoot for and things that I can work on in terms of how kids go about warming up or how kids go about technique for different things and all that sort of stuff when they're seasoned this isn't their first lit or their first competition and this isn't their first go around at all of this um, so that was pretty cool and then obviously you have to acknowledge that like they are specialists and I'm just becoming starting to specialize in just this um yeah so in terms of moving forward i'm pretty happy with where my squat is at and we'll just try to keep that rolling how it is because like i said i think i had a little bit more in the tank so then my focus turns towards increasing my bench generally 
and becoming more comfortable with technique in terms of like pausing and um, staying in a good tight position with my scaphs retracted and everything. And then deadlift, um, probably gonna switch up my technique a little bit to pull sumo instead of conventional because we've started to realize that that's maybe a little bit better of a more of an advantageous position for me and my body type and then just also how I'm where my strength lies in terms of like proportionally with my um, just how my body is built so start to switch that stuff up and see if I can um, if that'll make a difference because I think I feel like I, for right now I've hit kind of the top end with conventional of where I'm gonna realistically be. So I think sumo will be a little bit more advantageous for me yeah. in that regard. So that's an interesting thing. So first, to give people some perspective, your conventional deadlift is three times body weight, which in outside of powerlifting is excellent. Uh, you effectively find zero people who can do that. However, and this is the difference between being in a generalist sport like CrossFit where you're like okay at a lot of stuff, but not actually very good at sport-specific things. Like, so they're not actually very good Olympic weightlifters. They're not actually very good powerlifters. And then when you get into those really more specific sports, you just see that where it's like, oh, this is a whole different game because these people are all specialists. So, a couple things you you know and you alluded to it with conventional versus sumo deadlift. And obviously, there are people who deadlift conventionally at a high level, but just not nearly as many who pull sumo because of the, the natural um, technical and range of motion advantages it has, especially for a shorter person. Uh, tell us a little bit about your squatting technique, because that was another thing where there are a couple other people there who are squatting like you, but the vast majority were not. So maybe, you know, for someone who's not as familiar with the sport of powerlifting, kind of elucidate what the differences are. So I think we, we dived into it a little bit last week with our kind of beginning episode of uh, this powerlifting journey. But to recap, um, I squat primarily high bar, um, which means the bar sits higher on my back and I'm more quad dominant in the lift and hinge less um, as opposed to low bar, which the majority of people yesterday and the majority of powerlifters squat where the bar is lower on your back um, and you hinge a little bit more and don't go quite as deep down into the squat. So I think yesterday kind of emphasized that in terms of, as we had kind of guessed, like the majority of people were doing low bar with relatively wider stance than I do. Um, and for me, I don't think it makes any sense for me to like try to switch at this point. It would be to, hard within yeah. training to train at high intensities with a new technique that would fall into the range of dangerous. Yeah. Um, so that was just kind of interesting to see that effectively everyone does that with an offhand few who were high bar. So we also talked last week uh, about equipment, assistive equipment. And obviously you were in the raw category uh, as far as like your weight belt. Um, will that, do you see that changing kind of as you continue in this sport and will you play around with sleeves or different like yeah, yeah like different different divisions as far as that's concerned are you thinking as of now uh raw is where you'll stay um so i think well yesterday i learned that i was about as raw as you as one can physically get <laughs> other than the belt um because i didn't have everyone else was wearing 
uh, knee sleeves, wrist wraps, chalk on their back. Lifters in many cases. Lifters, yeah, which doesn't make any sense. Like, uh, lifters to get to parallel doesn't, blows my mind. It literally <laughs> blows my mind apart because I wore flat shoes and got way below parallel. But, um, yeah, chalk on the back, baby powder on the legs, all this stuff, which, like, for me, it was belt and chalk on my hands for deadlift, and that was literally it. Um, so I kind of, I don't know, I maybe, like, knee sleeves, but I have never had an issue with, like, my knees or anything. So at the moment, I think I'll keep it exactly how things are. And I kind of like, like, even if it meant a few more pounds if I talk tossed on knee sleeves or any of those things I like the aspect of it's like pure I know it's just me there isn't any sort of assistive equipment um yeah so for now I don't see any any change happening in that but it was interesting to see that I was literally on the lowest extreme end of no usage of equipment because every single other person had chalk on their back for squats and benching baby powder on their thighs for deadlifting, all this stuff. Yeah, it's one of those things like where you can see the clear benefits of those things, especially if you're squatting low bar, like it creates some friction on your back so the bar stays in place, etc. You can see the sensibility of that. Or if you have a big arch when you're benching where, where chalk can play a role. There is a point where it's like you can either do it or you can't. Yeah. Like, do you, don't you want to just see... I've never really understood equipped powerlifting in that way. Like, I understand that it, like, the number's bigger, the raw number's bigger, and you're, they're still absurdly strong. But wouldn't you want to just see what you can do without assistive equipment? But, of course, that is a matter entirely of opinion. So, uh, switch to sumo, stay with high bar, work, continue to work on bench pressing. Uh, there's obviously some things that we'll be able to look at in terms of bench press technique, because you really bench press... It, in all ways, in a hyp- what we would kind of call uh, medium grip hypertrophy style bench press. Yeah. Uh, whereas the huge majority of people were where we would consider to be wide grip. Um, and they're just good at it because they're used to it. With a much bigger arch and a lot more leg drive than, than you were able to get. So it's just one of those things for us to look at in the next your next training block of how we're going to get more leg drive. Maybe we throw a little more arch in, play with your hand position. Uh, in in the hope of getting getting some more there, yeah. So I think that's the that's the plan moving forward. We'll probably find look at a meet in the next a few months from now. Uh, so in the next couple of weeks will be uh, a little bit like a deload, um, but kind of just lower intensity and volume, um, but still moving and going through the motions just to let things kind of reset um, and relax. Obviously after like a extremely high intensity day and then a couple weeks prior um and then after that we'll just go back into it and kind of execute the things moving forward i think it's one of those things i was thinking about it yesterday though and i kind of texted you that it's exactly what we've been talking about of like you always have like even i was still on yesterday and i'm already thinking about that's already in the rear view mirror like always think already thinking about the next time or already thinking about like Monday, what am I going to change? Yeah. yeah. And I think it's important. I mean, because 
at the end of the day, especially you found that you enjoyed it, right? You didn't show up and get out there and be like, this is not what I want to do. You actually enjoyed it. Um, So it is always important to kind of look towards the future, whether it is that you plan on doing a meet or not. Obviously, like we've had discussions and you want to do another one. But even if it was like, yeah, I plan on doing one, but maybe like next year, right? Like because you're changing um, up your stance, you're doing some of these other things. And so it's always important to have a goal and always to think like there will be a next time. And so everything that you're doing at this point and moving forward is preparing you for that. It's not like, Meh, all right, I'm just going to kind of willy nilly go through training just because I enjoy exercise. So I'm just going to do this and I'll do a little of this. Like there's still a plan. You're still moving forward, whether a meet is eight weeks from now, eight months from now. I think it kind of like lights the fire a little bit too. Cause you like now twice with deadlifting, I've gotten like stuck so in the close. same spot. <laughs> and like, it's, that's kind of like part, obviously part of the reason switching to sumo, but just you're like, well, okay, there's a reason like I'd, I like squatting in training way more than I like deadlifting. Like it's not necessarily as fun for me to deadlift in training, but you're like, okay, why not getting stuck in that spot again? You know what I mean? Um, And same thing with like all that other stuff is like seeing the other people who are my size, but stronger. You're like, okay, well, like let's, you know, let's get after it a little bit. To to yet a statement and a question for you. So there's, there's a kid, uh, very similar to you in size, who was a hair's who was just in a different division, hair's breadth away from setting like an American record for squat. Yeah. Like, truly strong. Like people think they're strong, and it's like you see people like that, and it's like you're not strong at all. Uh, but so that's that can make the whole thing sound unapproachable. Um, and my point is kind of the opposite. So what you've competed competitive, you've competed competitively, you've engaged with competitive soccer, rowing, fitness sport. Um, wrestling, wrestling, lacrosse. lacrosse, and now powerlifting. In terms of approachability, where would this rank on that list? Is this something that like almost anybody could jump into? Uh, I'd say yes. I was, and I was talking to one of our clients about this the other day, and she said it seems like the community and the whole thing is like extremely approachable, and they want more people to do it. And that's exactly the takeaway I got from it because at the end, like everyone is doesn't matter what you're actually lifting because every single person including the spotters and the people running the events and everything were all like cheering for you and wanted you to get the lift and um, including the judges yeah and super congratulatory and that was like shocking in the sense that like they are watching literally probably over a thousand couple thousand lifts through the course of the day and every single time they were like cheering me on and congratulating me and everything and every single other person. And there were tons of people there. Um, And I think just like my interactions with the other people when I was weighing in and everything like that, everyone was super helpful and inclusive and everything. So even though it seems like it's a relatively tight knit world, they were extremely inviting and everything. Um, So I think it's extremely approachable, especially in the sense that there's no, like there's no prerequisite, especially for like a local meet like this. Like you can, anyone can do it. 
I think that's a, a big thing to think about in terms of any kind of specialty, right? Um, is that the people who are in it are in it because they enjoy it. They love it. And so to be surrounded by other people who are enjoying it and loving it as much as you, it, it makes that very inviting and very like, okay, like I can do this even as a beginner. Um, and I think that that's something if you have an interest, like that's important to, to think about whether it's something you've done for six months or whether it's something you've done for six years. Um, if it's something that's passionate, something you are passionate about, uh, that why not, why not give it a go? Because at the end of the day, it's not, people aren't going to be there like trying to tear you down, like tell you, oh, that's what you're going for in your lift. Why would you do that? They're like, no, that's what you're going for. Like, that's awesome. Like, good luck. Let's get it. Yeah. I thought it was really nice in the back. So you have a lot of people warming up in the back. Uh, and everybody, obviously, that's a big day for everybody involved. Uh, but it was like, it's nice because that, that situation can get a little bit chippy with people uh, in terms of them just being concerned that they're going to have just, you know, enough time to warm up. But it or can enough get weight or whatever. It yeah. can get high there pretty easy. But in my, my observation was that people were really nice and understanding, even though everybody's trying to basically has to go at the same time. Yeah. And working together and sharing bars and stuff like that, which was really nice to see. Um the caveat, do you think people could come into this without a coach? Like you're just like a recreational lifter, do you think it would be sensible to just go by yourself or is it helpful to have some other people there that maybe can help you through some of that stuff? So the interesting thing was that there were people there who didn't have a coach back there or who had like maybe just parents like in the crowd, you know what I mean? So it's completely them like quote unquote backstage or but in the warm up area. Powerlifting me? No, no. Um, so they and I think also the people who were a little bit more serious in terms of qualifying for something or there f- to set certain PRs or do X, Y, and Z had a coach with them. Um, but I think it's like it's you affect if it's your first one, you like almost can't do it by yourself or it's yeah. sensory overload because there's just so many so many things going on or you have to have so many things with you and in terms of timing and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's one of those things where it would just, just the logistics of having somebody help you through everything. It would be extremely helpful. All right. I think that's a good spot. Good first one. Uh, so it remains to be seen, right? Whether you qualify for nationals just based on that total, right? It's unclear. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, the website was kind of vague about it. So, who knows? We're just going to get it next time, push the numbers up, and then uh, we'll lock it up next time. All right. That's it. Lifting heavy things. Some people are interested in lifting lighter things for a lot. We do both. <laughs> that we do. <laughs> that we do. All right. Good job. That's the powerlifting wrap-up. Obviously, we'll continue to follow this uh, as time goes on, but thanks for lift- listening as always. If you like Coke and coffee and vanilla, get yourself a couple cans of this because it's it's not bad. It's pretty good. In the meantime, uh, if you like this, you can find us also on YouTube, on Instagram, and Facebook uh, where we put out different kinds of content. 
Ooh. It's content of different contexts. Yes, you're, exactly. You're there. I was getting there. Yeah. Just, you know, haven't had enough of this Coke. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't checked out the YouTube, there is some heat on there. And more heat. We're going to, I think we're going to try for maybe one, maybe two videos this week. So definitely keep your eyes on that. Make sure you leave, if you like podcasts, if you listen to like a bunch of these and you enjoy it and you get some value out of it, leave us a review. Obviously, we're looking for five stars, but leave us whatever you think is appropriate. Uh, that is extremely helpful for us. And the goal is um, for more people to have better access to good information. And so every time you leave a review, that helps maybe someone else discover this and maybe they can derive some benefit from it. Yep, same is true on all platforms. You can like, follow, subscribe, subscribe. rate us on all of them. Um, and again, it just it helps us out. And we appreciate you guys taking the time out of your day to listen to us. Sometimes just talk about each other. Other times talk about, you know, important things or important things that we feel um, relate to everyday life or obviously fitness as we are coaches uh, and athletes ourselves in different realms. For sure. All right. See you next time. See ya.